The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. Together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. If you're listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion at any time during the show with your comments and questions. You can call us right now at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555, and we would love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So this show is all about respect. You know, oftentimes respect is demanded, and we've also heard that it has to be earned. It's tied closely with self-esteem, ourselves and of others. And with our jaded histories, how do we learn to respect ourselves and how do we learn to respect others? Today, we want to share our experiences with this perplexing concept and the peace that we found along the way. And we'll begin with our own experiences of the source of the trouble, once again, self-centeredness and judgment, and then move into the solution of really learning respect in a deep way. And after the break, we'll share exactly how we use those principles to move um, into regarding others with a kind heart and compassion. So, Lonnie, it seems like uh, a root of a lot of our troubles zeroes in on this self-centeredness. And in this case, judgment uh, of others, I think they're related. What, is, what do you recall about that? What are or were your experiences? Well, when I think about respect, I think, well, how did I learn that? You know, where did I learn that? What, what, was, the, what was the gist of it? And I'm thinking that, you know, um, I, I remember hearing growing up, several different things and being shown several different things. Things like stand up when somebody enters a room. Somebody walks towards you and extends their hand for a handshake. You extend your hand and shake it. Um, you know, if if uh, if there was a child in the room, somebody would usually say something about children should be seen and not heard, you know, and, um, and don't interrupt. You know, and there's all these things that just occurred in the normal course of a family, um, I think, that that uh, as I was reflecting on this, remind me of, oh, okay, that's where I learned some of these things about respect. And of course, as the addiction progressed, those were some of the things that I kind of let slide. 
Yeah, it is a tricky concept. Um, and as we had discussed uh, earlier, it's sort of, you know, rooted in um, the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others. I'm always uh, reminded of that phrase from the recovery literature, a thousand forms of fear, because it's been my experience and my understanding from uh, being with others that all those different kinds of fears that we have, however it is that they show up, will you know, drive something like a, a tendency to be self-oriented, say, or a tendency to uh, p- quickly pass judgment on others in, in not a positive way. <laughs> you know, my judgment uh, usually wasn't, well, that's really a wonderful person. Let me assume that. It's, uh, you know, that jerk doesn't know how to drive or whatever it is that um, is based on something going on in myself that I'm now projecting out onto the world uh, in the form of, in at least in the language of today's show, a lack of respect, you know, a lack of concern or a lack of an assumption of the uh, value of another person. So when I think about that kind of uh, self-centeredness or quick, quick to judge um, ways that I have been, that's what comes to mind first. You know, in many ways, it's one of these, I'll know it when I see it. You know, it's it's really easy to say, well, that's not respectful about behavior or or thoughts or words or what have you, but it's really kind of hard to describe. And so, you know, another um, experience that I had was, you know, that of you, you kind of touched on it with ego. I think my ego is what has this uh, propensity to judge it. It looks around and it says, am I safe? Oh, what's different? You know, and, and sets sets me apart in one way or another from my peer group, from the the environment, people in the environment, because that insulates me from that environment. So it's a fear-based response, as you have said. And out of that, I say things like, in my head, this, this, um, this uh, tape runs about how am I different? Well, I have more than you. You know, I have more education or more opportunities or more money or more friends or more something. And that makes me different or better than. And so there's this what's good, what's bad, this this egoic energy that kind of just kicks in automatically. And that's, you know, the, the key for me is I've had to catch it in action. Yeah, you know, you mentioned being not comfortable or being uncomfortable and that sort of uh, being the impetus to drive some of this. And I know... Uh, my experience has been that if I'm not comfortable in a situation, then then certainly I've, I'm experiencing some level or some type of fear, you know, whether I recognize it as such or not. And that will, you know, when, when we feel fearful like that, it sort of puts us on alert. Like, you know, wh- where are the threats? What's the problem? And it's inherently separating me uh, from others because I feel, you know, almost at a at a very low level, like at a gut level, like I need to make judgments about what's going on, about who is here, about what they're doing, these people, who's safe, who's not safe. Why? Because I'm uncomfortable. And just recognizing that, I realized that just recognizing that as the source, 
I'm not comfortable is a step in the right direction because at least I've gone from that person is a so-and-so or a problem or, you know, they're the problem to I'm not comfortable. At least now the locus of the problem is within me. Now I might still say I'm not comfortable because that person's doing this. Okay. So I've got, I got work to do still, but just recognizing that we're not comfortable, I think is a step in the right direction because that it, it's a way that that fear can show up in us and, and really push us to being um, self-centered and judgmental, which I don't really believe we want to be. There are a lot of behaviors I found, at least uh, for me, that show up when I am fearful and that show up as separating behaviors, as one-upsmanship, if you will, which is that I'm uncomfortable. Maybe I'm afraid of something. I don't know that that, like you just mentioned, that I am, but that um, that sarcastic behavior, you know, being using sarcasm to put somebody else down um, or to attempt to manipulate their feelings one direction or another. Uh, that was one that I used for years, not recognizing that that was hurtful to somebody else, not recognizing that that was ego building because there was this exchange of witticisms back and forth, like who can, who can make the most ridiculous statement here, you know? And so, um, you know, those kind of behaviors, when they show up, I realize that I'm uh, I'm at the edge of this thing that we call uh, the egoic response to this to this uh, respect. You know, one of the things that growing up that I, I recognized for me that when I talked about talk, thought about respect, I thought about physical things. I thought about possessions. You know, I grew up in a household where we had three. I have three younger sisters and we all shared one bedroom and it was like, don't touch my stuff. You don't respect me if you don't, if you touch my stuff, you know, whatever it was. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different areas in which this respect slash lack of respect showed up for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sitting here trying to imagine that because that, that I did not have the experience of sharing a bedroom with three siblings, especially three younger siblings. Uh, it has to have been a different experience for each one of you, I well imagine. Mm-hmm. My sister said to me once, just years and years ago, sort of along the way, you know, well, we all grew up in the same family. And I thought, actually, I don't think we did. I think we all grew up. I had a, you know, an older brother and a younger sister. She had two older brothers. My brother had a younger brother. So it, 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 the dynamic shifts. But yeah, I didn't think about that in respect in terms of possessions, because it certainly is a part of it. Right. If I'm if I am respecting someone or, you know, regarding them as valuable, that's just a quick sketch of a definition regarding them as inherently valuable, then, yeah, I might I might want to be careful about what, what I do with their things, you know, in addition to um, the way that I talked. Now, I had heard uh, some time ago about this uh, no complaint challenge the no complaining challenge where if for 21 days, I don't know where that's written down. It's not in the Bible. I looked, but supposedly if you can do something for 21 days, then you have established uh, a, a new habit. And the challenge is don't complain, you know, don't complain about anything for uh, 21 days, which is really hard for those of us who are witty, right. And adept at sarcasm and have sort of a sense of pride, even uh, of being able to um, say clever and funny things that are, as you point out, inevitably um, putting other people down. And that's no good. 
Uh, and so, you know, undertaking a no complaint challenge is one way to, uh, you said a minute ago, I'll know it when I see it, you know, to be able to highlight what, what am I saying? What is going on here? You know, if I'm mindful about not complaining, uh, how often is that happening? What does that look like? And, oh, is this complaining when I say this or is that complaining? Uh, it, it just becomes a way to take a look at what's going on. But, yeah, in a way, if we... Um, you know, earlier in life wanted to, you know, if I, if I, someone said, I have to not be sarcastic that, you know, that means why well, I, I can't express how, how witty I am and, uh, and, and wonderful and observant in all of this stuff. Um, so I may as well just be quiet for a while, which is actually a really good thing to do. I think, uh, when trying to move from a space of judgment to a space of just generally kind-hearted regard for others, being quiet is not a bad strategy. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you said a key phrase there, and that was at the expense of others. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is really the way that those behaviors would show up for me. And another one was that I would perhaps not even be blatantly disrespectful to somebody, to their face, but I might be passive-aggressive. I might figure out how I can set them up or whatever else, you know, and all of these things occurred back when I was still using and back when I was really focused on what do I want and how do I get it, you know, which is a crux of this self-centeredness that's at the core of this uh, malady that we have. You know, one thing that, that helps me even today is to um, pretend or ask myself, you know, if that person were standing here right now, um, would I say it this way? How how might I express this if that person were present uh, versus them not present? And, and as we've pointed out before, or I've learned from you, um, asking, am I acting out of principle or out of personality? You know, am I acting out of something that runs deeper or am I just in the circumstance? Uh, asking that question, well, would I say that if so-and-so was here? Would I say that if my grandmother was here? You know, that can help me kind of see, well, if I wouldn't do that, then maybe I shouldn't be saying it that way at all. You know, how might I express this? Or, you know, if I'm, whether I'm speaking or maybe I'm writing an email. If I'm writing an email and I am talking about someone else, this little flag goes up in my head that says, you know, be careful. Um, you know, what, what, is, what is going on here? be mindful of it. And one question that helps that is, what would you say if that person was here? So now that we know about this challenge of self-centeredness and judgment, what's the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm the inherent value of every person. And it goes by many names, including what in we, we in unity call seeing the Christ in one another. The idea that each person is an expression of spirit is central to unity teachings, and we know that this is true regardless of outer appearance. So the solution here today is what we are calling respect, or in other words, true regard for the feelings, wishes, rights, and or traditions of others, and that's what we want to focus on today. But what does this look like out in the world? And how can we have respect for everyone, given some of the things that go on in the world today? It doesn't all look good or even okay. So, Dan, what do you think about that? Oh, I think it's a, it's a tricky issue. And this concept of um, respect that we touch on and learn 
about in our recovery programs really runs kind of deep. And it seems to me that it touches many other things. So if, uh, when I think about, well, what what is this? What does it mean? Um, I, I have found, and you shared with me before the show, the dictionary definition, uh, regard for the feelings, wishes, rights, or traditions of others. You know, being mindful that other people are on their own path. And uh, I probably know very little about that. Chances are I do know very little about that. So I should be careful um, before I start uh, you know, passing judgments on people when I don't even really know uh, where they've come from. So one way that I can look at what is this thing called respect, it's being open to, um, or at least knowing that the experiences of others are probably unknown to me. And that should just, uh, you know, let, give me, give me pause or let me, let me leave my mind open instead of a fearful response which is, you know, I need to draw a conclusion. They're okay. They're not okay. I like them. I don't like them. Well, what if I uh, acted not out of fear, but out of openness, with just a, you know, a sort of a trust, if you will, in the in the goodness of the universe, uh, believe it or not, uh, what would things look like? And they look very, very different. So that's one way that respect, I think, shows up is in just, um, you know, withholding judgment and leaving room for regard of others' feelings, wishes, rights, or traditions. You know, when I think about this topic and others of a similar nature, it starts getting really confusing because I end up with this laundry list of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, you know, and it, and it, I kind of need a framework to hang it on for me to, to, have a reference point. And so to me, what that comes down to is um, I get to make a choice. When I am aware that I am in a situation with other people, I, I have the power of will. I have the power to make a choice. And I get to choose, make a choice, a conscious, intentional choice that I want to treat them with respect or not. You know, most of the time, if, it, if it's not, it's because I slid into it. But, you know, that, so I'm, I'm going to operate from the basis that I want to make this choice to treat somebody respectfully. And then what do I do is I go to principles, as you've already uh, illuminated, you know, what, what is the principle here? You know, and I have to go through those steps in my mind, at least until it becomes semi-automatic. You know, the principle is that they have a right to be here, too, you know, and, and they have a right to everything they think and feel just as I do. And, you know, so I kind of talk myself off a cliff whenever I'm in, in that kind of a situation with somebody. Um, you know, I'm behind somebody on the road and I'm angry because they're kind of hogging the middle of the road and they won't move one way or the other. And I go, you know what? They got here first and <laughs> I'm the one that's behind. And so, you know, that's not their deal. And, um, but I, I kind of have to back into it that way. One way that I've uh, seen this thing uh, we call respect is by um, I will often do what I call play a game. You know, well, let me let me pretend that such and such is true and then see what happens. You know, see, what does the world look like if I make a game out of choosing to see the best in other people? And this can, of course, get get tricky because um Choosing to look for the best in other people is not saying that everything that people do is even okay. You know, sometimes people do things that I would say not are not okay. And, uh, you know, this comes up in unity, I think, because we, um, as a rule, tend to see the good, 
uh, look for the good. We understand God is as being all good is one of our definitions. And then so what do you do uh, when you see atrocities in the world or just plain bad behavior? You know, forget about the the uh, global level atrocities, just plain old bad behavior. What do you do? And uh, one way to look at that, instead of saying, well, I guess it's not true that uh, there's goodness underneath everything, is to look beyond that and realize, well, that's that's only a part of what's going on. And if I if I choose to look for the good in things, I'm not calling everything that a person does good, and I'm not going to tolerate, say, abusive behavior toward me. That's not okay. I, but I can look for the good in people and at the same time have my eyes wide open and understand that, yeah, uh, you know, of course they're, they're doing something that um, is, is not helpful or even worse than that, maybe harmful um, to others. And just like I've said, um, when talking about the concept of loving one another, you know, some people uh, we love or, or in teaching forgiveness uh, we forgive them from the other side of a restraining order because that's right and appropriate. And sometimes we might do our forgiveness work with someone on the other side of jail cell bars because that might be right and appropriate. Um, so you can, it doesn't have to be, it's not black and white. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other. So I can make a game out of looking for the good in other people while, you know, fully aware that I, I can't say that everything that happens in the world is good, but I can say that there's good in everything somewhere. Sometimes I got to look really hard. And I think that's a way of, of engendering respect and practicing respect is by, you know, making a game out of looking for the good. For me, one of the things is actually um, what I actually do in the world. You know, I might think I have the right answer. I might think I I have a more important need. But, you know, the way that I show up in the world, and uh, and I have to practice this, is that I choose to refrain from saying anything. I choose to listen instead. I choose to listen intently for understanding uh, to somebody. I've already... the program's already running in the back of my head. Well, what you need to do is this and this and that, but I don't say any of that, you know, and being able to stay focused, to listen for the feelings underneath what they are sharing with me is really, I think, one way of engendering respect in a, in a relationship. Because really, if you, for the way I think about it, respect is about a relationship. It's about developing a relationship with somebody on some level. I think that's absolutely true, and um, it, it seems to me that, in, in a way, um, it's the opposite of self-centeredness, right? So that, that what I think helpful di dictionary definition, respect is regard for the feelings, wishes, rights, or traditions of others. What is self-centeredness? Regarded for my own feelings, wishes, rights, and traditions above and beyond always anybody else. You know, it's the, it's the exact opposite. It's... It's, um, you know, self-centeredness is saying that whatever it is that I'm experiencing or my point of view or, or what have you is just, you know, inherently more valid and more important than anything else. Uh, respect says, you know, we, we're all walking a path 
And we need to be mindful that, as we've shared, we don't know everything that other people have been through. Uh, why don't I just assume that uh, they're just like me, except I don't know that much about them. So, again, you know, I'm looking for the good. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. I am um, listening, as you shared, listening for you know, what is going on underneath the particular words or maybe accent or clothing that they're wearing, you know, all those things that we can use to separate ourselves from other people. Um, respect is that practice of, of listening or looking deeply and seeing the person uh, that's underneath it all. And, you know, the opposite of self-centeredness. You know, and it's a really tricky deal because most of us come into the program with no self-respect, you know, we're self-centered, but we have, but we have no self-respect. And, um, you know, through the, through the process of working the steps and our spiritual practices that we build to maintain our, our recovery, we eventually gain some of that. But I was told that um, I become esteemable by doing esteemable acts. And the way that translated for me is to do the next right thing. Doesn't matter if you like the person or not, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your perfect scenario or not, uh, it, it falls back again on that thing we've always talked about, which is principles over personalities. It doesn't matter whose name it is, you know, that what's the next right thing to do here. And when I make this conscious intentional choice to be respectful in the world, you know, that's one of the things that, um, that's one of the things that I, that I look at is, you know, I have to, Assume that I was doing the best I could. Now, I had a lot of baggage that kept me dragged, you know, buried. They're doing the best they can. And so I have to give them the benefit of that doubt as well. And, and because of those habits of mind that we talk about, those ruts, if you will, um, at least the ones that I had when I came in the program, it took some repetition and it took some practice to get out of those. Oh, there it is again. Got to get rid of it. Oh, there it is again. Nope, they're doing fine. They're doing the best they can. And I had a sponsor that would tell me, they're fine doing what they're doing. What do you need to do for you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's look. Let's look at the, I have the handy dandy problem finder. It's called a mirror, right? Yes. If I want to see the source of the trouble. I look in the mirror. Um, I think one way that respect shows up or I can become aware of it is be aware of how I'm showing up in the world. Um, I want to I want to read a couple sentences from um, from the big book that I find helpful. Uh, it's on page 91. It says one one unkind tirade or one willful snap judgment can ruin our relationship with another person for a whole day or maybe a whole year. Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen, to which I just want to put my hands in the air and say, amen. Restraint of tongue and pen is a, you know, I think it's a wonderful, memorable um, way of saying you might just want to take a breath, withhold judgment and be quiet, you know, zip it, so to speak, um, rather than cause a big problem, you know, by blurting out um, some judgment or another. And so I hear, I hear that phrase a lot in meetings, I think, because it's such a great turn of a phrase, uh, restraint of tongue and pen. And I think it, I think it plays directly into what we're talking about today, because that is the way that I can show respect for others by being willing to show restraint within myself. Because you know what? Guess five minutes later, I might be really glad that I didn't say anything. <laughs> 
That is true. Absolutely. So let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here today with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment. But first, we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing the the challenge of self-centeredness and the tendency to be judgmental toward others and the solution that's rooted in what we're calling respect and finding that that is a, a, a single word that runs pretty deep. So Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of uh, self-centeredness and sort of fear-driven judgments and that the solution is this respect thing, how exactly can we use the principles that underlie respect to come to a place of living with the general kind-hearted regard for other people. Well, as we were talking just before the break, we talked about um, restraint. We talked about the pause, you know, and and I think that that first, as always, the first tool for me is awareness that I'm that I'm that that's where I am is in non-respect, and that I'm doing something that needs to be altered, you know. And then I I need some tools, you know. I need a different way of approaching things. And one of the ones that I was given was this uh, acronym Think. T-H-I-N-K. Is it thoughtful? If I Before I open my mouth or do something, ask myself these questions. Is it thoughtful? Is it honest or hopeful? That starts, those will start with H. Inspiring or intelligent? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if I cannot answer yes to those five questions, perhaps I should think twice about saying anything. And that gave me something to do while I was pausing. <laughs> you know, I yes. run, run through the list in my head and when I would get to something, well, no, that's not kind. I better not say that. You know, it, it, it did exactly what it needed to do. It gave me the space to choose a different behavior. I love practical tools like that. You know, things that give specific steps that aren't sort of generally, you know, well, practice being nicer. Uh, well, how do I do that? What you just said is a great example of exactly uh, a process for doing something like I'm going to practice, you know, showing up with more compassion in the world. Um, another way to um, see what you've laid out that I remembered is I've slowly learned and still learning, of course, to take a breath and to not so quickly move into feeling like I got to name something, you know, which is a judgment thing or, or conclude or as you're sharing, say something, you know, be willing to uh, instead of feeling the drive to draw a conclusion to understand, which uh, just the way that I'm wired, 
you know, that's something that's always with me. Understanding is a primary lens for me. And so it's taken some time and some practice for me to learn to, uh, or learn that I don't always need to move to that one tool understanding. I can just uh, take a breath and observe, you know, see what's happening and, and be okay. Even if I don't know quite what's going on, or I'm not sure, you know, is, is this good? Is this okay? Is it not okay? I don't need to quickly move into a decision. I can just sort of withhold judgment is what that might be called. And so that's been helpful for me. Um, it's not as specific uh, as the steps that you laid out, which I love. Um, but I think it's the it's a similar spirit of it that says, hang on, before I say or do something, let me just even ask myself, do I need to say or do anything at all? Maybe I don't. You know, one of the things that you reminded me of is that um, I had this sense of urgency about everything, it seems, when I first uh, came into recovery. And I was I was told that very few things are really urgent. You know, we have this adrenaline, we have this anxiety, we have this sense of urgency, and that just because I felt like it needed to be addressed this moment in time, I that's when I needed to pause. If I had this body feeling, this anxiety feeling that, oh, I got to say something, I got to do something, that's that's absolutely the clue, don't, you know, <laughs> and so that, that helped. Another thing that was given to me as a tool was another question, and that is, do I have experience, strength, and hope on this subject? I usually if I answered no to the first question, do I have any experience on this? That's the end of that. I have to keep my mouth shut because in the program, we do not give opinions and we do not give advice. We share experience, strength, and hope. And so somebody comes to me and they've got a challenge with their teenager. Do I have teenagers? No. Have I ever had? No. I have no, not, I have nothing to offer that person. You know, I can pray for them or do all kinds of other things, but I have nothing in the way of advice to offer to that person. You know, I, I can't tell them what worked for me or what didn't work because I don't have that experience. And so that's a helpful question for me. Yeah, that's a great little kind of a litmus test. And that one's so simple. I don't even have to remember what the T and the H and all that stand for, which would take some practice. Uh, that one is just sort of always right there. Do I have any, you know, any practical um, background in this or not. And if not, then I can practice what I just mentioned. Let me take a breath and Hey, guess what? I don't have to decide what this is, let alone share my decision about what this is. You know, another thing that comes to mind, helpful tool is, uh, mindfulness meditation or just simple, um, meditation, insight, meditation, and any of that kind of mindfulness, because that's really a, a practice of observing. It's, it's, a, it's a purposeful practice of not passing judgment, but rather just observing what is happening and noticing it and letting that be enough. And because it's something that I do myself, uh, I think it might be a little bit easier than when other people are involved, uh, because what I'm observing is what's happening in my own mind. But the the dynamic is still the same. You know, can I can I withhold judgment? Can I just sit in a place where I I see what's happening, but I don't need to name it. I don't need to make a decision about it. I don't need to take an action because of it. It's okay for me to just notice it for exactly what it is. 
And so any kind of mindfulness meditation, I think, is great practice because I can then do that when I'm out in the world and somebody says something and maybe I feel annoyed or irritated or I feel like, oh, I got to jump in and, and put in my two cents about that. I got to tell my story about that. If I'm practicing observing, I can also do it right then. It's like, oh, well, why don't I just watch and see what happens? I don't have to be the one to speak. Maybe someone else will speak. One of the things that I was um, taught was that observing boundaries is respectful. Again, when I walked in the program or before I got into counseling and all that, I didn't understand boundaries at all. And there are there are several different kinds of boundaries. We're not just talking about physical boundaries like running up to somebody and hugging everybody you see in a meeting, you know, as being one lack of boundaries. But, you know, there's emotional boundaries and there's there's intellectual boundaries. And and so when somebody says to me, I don't want to talk. I don't sit there and needle them. Come on, what's wrong? You can tell me, you know, because that's a boundary violation. Um, honoring people at their word of what they what they need or want at that moment in time, observing those kind of boundaries, I think, um, is a way to demonstrate respect toward that person. Uh, and and it surprises me sometimes because I go someplace and and uh, you know and it's very common to hold hands to say the prayer at the end of the meeting, and to go into a meeting where people don't do that, and you know I reach out to grab somebody's hand and they turn and say, "Don't touch me." Oh, okay. Yes, it kind of takes me back, but all they did was set a boundary and an appropriate boundary in that cultural context. And so observing those things, I think, is a way to show respect. And you get to decide, are you going to take that personally or not? When you realize this is not about me, right? And I don't have to be offended. I don't have to respond at all. I can just say, okay, far out, man, and just move on, move on with it. You know, one thing that uh, there are many kinds of mental traps that we can fall in. And one super common one that I've experienced is what we call black and white thinking, right? Something's either all good or all bad. Um, And so I have to become willing to see that when it's happening and willing to stop anything that looks like black and white thinking. Uh, What that looks like for me is becoming willing to see the good and the not so good in a situation or a person at the same time without having to make it all one or all the other. Now, um, sometimes people will hear this, and if you don't like this idea, uh, you know, you you pull out the Adolf Hitler. Are you telling me that, you know, you, you pick the most extreme example um, that you can? You know, if someone's running at me with a baseball bat and they're going to, you know, beat my butt with it, that I'm, well, no, in that circumstance, uh, I recommend that you don't stand there looking for the good in them, you know, because now we're talking about physical safety right? Get out your Maslow's hierarchy. Okay. So what we're talking about in recovery is assuming a certain level of physical safety, even of psychic uh, safety, and then these principles apply. So, um, you know, without trying to knock everything down by pulling out some hyper extreme example uh, to see if it holds up then, um, I can work on my black and white thinking. And I can notice when I'm doing it and then just pretend, again, this is a, you know, doing an experiment or practice. Uh, let me just pretend that it's not all one or the other. Can I, can I sit in a place of sort of unknowing? Or again, this is just another way of saying 
I'm not I'm going to postpone or or withhold a judgment and just observe what's going on and say, oh, I'm seeing some things that I feel uh, you know warm and fuzzy about. And I'm seeing some things that I feel cold and prickly about. Uh, guess what? That doesn't mean I have to do anything. Can I just sit here and uh, let it be gray at least for the moment and see where all this goes? You know, and that, that brings up something that we talk about uh, frequently in unity circles, which is just sitting in the question, sitting in our discomfort and just observing what's going on within us about that, you know, because once we turn those those uh, inquisitive minds on the source of the issues, it's us that the feelings are arising in, then we have a ghost of a chance of finding our own solution to that. You know, one of the things that was helpful to me was I was reminded of the golden rule, treat others the way that I want to be treated. Well, coming in self-centered, it, that was easy. What do I want? Well, I want people to wait on me. I want people to say hi to me. I want people to save me a chair. You know, I want, I want, I want. And so to be able to turn that around and say, well, okay, if it was me, this is what I would want. When the new guy comes in the room, the new gal comes in the room and is looking around and doesn't doesn't know where to sit and there's an empty chair beside me, I can pull it out and say, hey, come sit here. You know, um, that's a way of extending kindness to somebody that is um, that is struggling. You know, the same thing. I want I want to make sure there's coffee. Well, I can make the next pot if I see that it's running low. You know, I can I can get into service. I can do the little things. I can open the door. I can I can help somebody that's struggling between their cane, their coffee, and the chair. I can help them with with that. You know, uh, looking for little opportunities in which I can I have the opportunity to be there for somebody else in some way. Uh, they don't have to be big things. They don't have to be month-long commitments. It's just when the opportunity presents itself, I try to take it. Yeah, I, I love those examples because they're, they're, I think they're examples of a really uh, powerful and important principle that uh, you know I might call looking for ways to be a good neighbor, so to speak, or practicing being a member of the Secret Service. I remember the first time I heard that. I loved that. And it's just, it's so delightful and it stuck with me. Oh, I'm a member of the secret service. What does that mean? It means I go around and I do nice things for no reason at all. And then I don't go tell people <laughs> about what I did because it really, you know, short circuits that desire to be, uh, you know, congratulated or seen in a certain way. Um, and instead makes it about the underlying principle. And so I think that something like that, you know, practicing, looking for ways to be a good neighbor, like you're describing, practicing uh, or making a game out of being in the secret service is a way to strengthen that principle of respect in us because it is a, it's a way that we're deciding to create good, look for good, be a part of the good that's out there in the world. And I think that's a connecting kind of thing. You know, when we when we do something silly and simple, you know, maybe as an act of secret service, we leave a, an, uh, you know, an outsized tip or we, we buy something in a vending machine and leave the change or, you know, any little put money in someone's parking meter, any little stuff like that. Um, I am sort of creating a warm connection with maybe an unknown person. That doesn't matter. But it's helping me, I think, to... Uh, develop that capacity 
for respect in myself in a way that's fun. I mean, that's what I love about that stuff. There's so many ways that, hey, what if I made a game out of this? Uh, wow, that, that's a great way to disrupt an old pattern of mind that I have and have it be fun at the same time. So another one that I heard was the platinum rule, which they say is to treat others the way they want to be treated. Because perhaps I might not have had the same boundary system that they had, or perhaps I might not have the same cultural context that they had. And so how do I find out what they want? Well, or how they want to be treated, this is where the listening comes in. This is where the ability to sit quietly without interrupting, without generating answers, without giving advice, being able to hear the feeling underneath, you know, and and understand the human connection that they're making by sharing with me, that allows me then to to give them at least full attention, if not to find out what their real needs are. And a lot of times I know my need was for connection. You know, it wasn't for another cup of coffee. It was for a connection. I wanted somebody to notice me. I wanted somebody to see that I was there, to see me and to hear me. And I didn't have a lot of that whenever I first got there. And so I think that's one of the biggest things. And maybe that goes back to the golden rule. That's the way I wanted to be treated. So I, I think to be able to use a tool to understand what somebody else needs is a very powerful practice. I agree because it's a purposeful way for me to get out of my own head. I mean, I'm literally asking myself a question that has nothing to do with what I want. I'm saying, what what do they want? Can I, If I pay attention, can I detect what they value, uh, what they appreciate, uh, what they like? And then could I provide that for that person? I think it's a wonderful way to practice, again, disrupting an old pattern of mind. You know, disrupting a selfish pattern of mind with a purposefully selfless way of, of doing things. Um, another game that I uh, have done that I like is to uh, look around and either notice or remember or even make up something positive about each person who's there. So you could do this if you're waiting in a bus station or if you're sitting in a, in a recovery meeting or if you're you know in, in a, at a church function or really anywhere um, where there's a gathering of people, um, we can make a game out of looking around and finding something or even literally fabricating it, you know, making up something positive about each person. Um, this, in fact, is the, is the powerful principle that underlies uh, affirmative prayer. Right, which is such a positive uh, or a, a powerful forgiveness tool. Um, if I choose to uh, practice forgiveness, one way that I do it is through affirmative prayer. So I, I imagine the person that I'm carrying a resentment toward. I imagine that person surrounded by all of the things that they love, all the things that they value. Um, and if I don't know what those things are, I basically substitute my own, not out of selfishness, but just to make sure that I have something I can connect with to see uh, them in a positive light. So disrupting an old way of being, um, deciding that I want to release a resentment that I'm carrying uh, can all be addressed by doing these kinds of, um, you know, observation games, if you will. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to find something good about every single person here and go down the line. For me, one of the practices has been, uh, this is a don't, <laughs> you know, I told you so many of my practices start with don't do that. 
to move out of that. And that's compare myself and others to my own personal standards, you know, to compare others to my personal standards. Um, I'll give an example. I'll be in, I'll be in line behind somebody and, um, and they're using food stamps to purchase their, their food with, and they're buying cat food. And immediately my mind might go to something like, well, you can't afford your own food. What are you buying cat food for? And yet when I, spend some time with that person and talk to that person, I understand that their living conditions are rodent infested and that the cat is an essential part of their environment for for safety reasons, for, you know, living circumstances. And when I have not, as you've mentioned earlier, walked in somebody else's shoes, you know, judging their, their uh, presentation by my set of standards of what I would put first. And it came up a lot for me early. I wouldn't spend my money on that. Well, I wouldn't spend my money on that. You know, of course I frittered away who knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars on alcohol, you know, but, but I had yeah. all these opinions about uh, how other people spent their money, you know, but it, it, I don't know what somebody else is dealing with. And so to refrain from uh, applying my standards to somebody else's life was an important tool. Yeah, I think that I love that. I think what you're pointing at is what's more generally called a cognitive bias, right? And you can Google this cognitive bias. There's a list of them, and and they will always get us in trouble. And one um, that I had jotted down is called fundamental attribution error, which just means that I judge other people on their character and I judge myself on the situation. So. Uh, what I'm doing is fine because this is what's happening and, and that's why it's okay for me to do this. But if someone else is doing it, man, that's just a, they're just showing me a flaw in their character and that's, that's what they're all about. And so it's, you know, applying a different standard uh, to one person or another, as you shared the story about the cat and, and maybe the person does live in a, in a rodent infested area and the cat is part of a physical health, or maybe that person knows that, that they, that the cat genuinely helps them with the depression that they're mm -hmm. uh, experiencing that heck, if I knew that, then, you know, I'd help you get cat food because who wouldn't want to take advantage of a situation that can help a person just genuinely feel better about being in the world? Um, and, and it really is that, uh, as you said, that uh, have I walked a mile in their shoes, which is a, a, a good question, not unlike your, you know, your think, um, the, the principles and the questions that go with each letter in the word think, um, have I walked a mile in their shoes? Do I know any, do I have any experience in that area? Have I ever been, um, you know, a veteran of a foreign war, for example, which I have not, then I maybe should shut up because I'm not the person who can help them. I don't know anything about that. I don't want to start off. Well, well, if it was me, I would think that, well, get the hypothetical out of there. <laughs> if I haven't been there, then it doesn't matter what I would think might happen. Uh, I can just shut up and let someone who has been there share their actual experience, strength, and hope instead of my hypothetical that's unhelpful. You know, I have seen somebody very respectfully and very carefully um, res give respectful questions to somebody. And it's it's with the purpose of understanding their worldview, you know, um, in 
I mean, being quiet for me is the is the first step. Well, first, the first step is not just, you know, blurting whatever comes out of my mind. And then there's the being quiet on purpose. And then after that, there is the, well, I'd like to understand more about that. Can you share more about this aspect? Because I don't really understand what's what this is about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the culture that we are in today, where we have multicultural workplaces and and communities and um, and, and it can in, include anybody from uh, immigrants to at-risk persons to to, um, you know, people in different socioeconomic strata and educational levels and all of those kind of things. I think that those are very valid uh, ways to engage somebody when they're sincere. You know, when you have a sincere desire for knowledge or information um, to, to respectfully inquire. As, would you share some more about that with me? Because I'm, I'm interested yeah, those are great questions, and and it can be fun too, and to an opportunity to learn more. So let us now move into action, because Unity's fifth principle states: it's not enough to know these truths; we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from judgment and separation to a more peaceful way of living using this principle of respect. Think of a way that you might be regarding others with something less than respect today. Do you have a contempt for those people, some group or another? Is there someone at work that really bugs you? Or maybe you simply want to be able to see the best in people. What's important is to pick one thing, something simple to focus on right here in today's exercise. Because you can take what we do here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of that one person who really bugs us. Use a statement of power, or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to judgment and self-centeredness. You could say something like, the way I feel right now is not about that other person. Repeat it a few times in your head or aloud and say it with conviction. The way I feel right now is not about that other person. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, the divine in me sees the divine in others, and I celebrate that connection. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. And once again, the way I feel right now is not about that other person. The divine in me sees the divine in them, and I celebrate that connection. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found a tool or an idea or something that can help you on your recovery path. So thank you, everybody that has joined us, and Reverend Dan Beckett and I both bless you on your journey, and thank you for the insights that were shared today. And listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page during the week. Uh, Just go to Spirit of Recovery and give us your thoughts and comments. Uh, We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.